The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. And he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, John. Thank you. And yourself? Not too bad, Father. It's good to see you. Yes, great to be back with you. I know you wanted to begin by asking for some prayers tonight, Father. Yes, well, we have quite a number of people to pray for, heaven knows. Uh, many of our... Uh, own what Catholics believe viewers uh, do ask for prayers. I can't name all, but one in particular I, I do want to mention tonight, and that's a little child. A uh, uh, little boy who just had surgery. Uh, please keep in your prayers Jude Miller that he uh, recover fully and uh, have a full life ahead of him. So uh, uh, please keep him in your prayers. There are a goodly number of others too. I would commend you, but God knows who they are, and if you pray for them as a response to my request, then God will bless them and will bless you also at the same time. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just had one of our uh, longtime viewers actually received into the church, right? That's correct, Father. <clears throat> yes, we uh, a longtime viewer, a longtime supporter, very, very faithful supporter. Uh, I believe he watches every single program, um, an elderly gentleman uh, who lives a couple of states away from us. He's unable to attend any of our missions due to, uh, due to some health issues. But um, to his credit, Father, he, uh, I believe, was, was raised as a Protestant and um, wanted, found, the, found the Catholic Church, wanted to convert to the Catholic Church. I believe he actually spent some time in the Novus Ordo Church, but I think quickly realized that was not the true Catholic Church. He found our channel, and uh, as I say to his credit, very perseveringly, Father, he uh, was able to get into contact with uh, our um, the congregation of, of St. Pius V Seminary and their, their headquarters in Round Top. And um, I, I think over the series of several several months, um, maybe even longer than that, was doing catechism instructions over the phone um, with the priests in New York. And uh, just this past week, I understand uh, one of our priests actually went and made the trip out to visit him and conditionally baptized him, um, and gave him the sacraments and enrolled him in the Brown Scapular. So certainly great, great news to hear that. And I think Father, that's a great um, example that he set for all of our viewers. You know, we constantly, almost every day, hear from people who uh, do not live close to a mission and um, often, you know, don't exactly know what to do. Um, but I think if they all had the perseverance and zeal and love for our Lord that this... Uh, well, this perseverance is the key word here. He persevered and uh, God blessed him for that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, good congratulations to him. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Great news. So, please pray for him too. I'm yes. sure he'll be praying for all of us. Yes. And I'm also might have one thing is I believe he overcame lots of uh, resistance from family members in this. So oh, is that right? just adds to the, uh, <coughs> the impressive. All, all the more so. Yes. yes. Oh, God bless you. Picture here, but okay. Well, Father, we wanted to um, pick up a little bit where we left off on the last program. We uh, have been talking a lot about abortion, the abortion issue lately, and uh, we spent some time going through. Uh, 
some arguments in favor in favor of abortion, and I uh, heard your responses to some of those some of those arguments. But there's a couple more points that we wanted to uh, to go through, Father, and hear your response. And uh, one in particular was that uh, abortion puts lives at risk. We often hear this that uh, abortion saves lives because pregnancy is a very very dangerous uh, very dangerous time, and so. Terminating a pregnancy actually um, it actually can save lives. It's a very very safe thing to do. So how would you respond to that? Say it's exactly the opposite of the truth. I mean, there are lies that are just plain, you know, just you know, garden variety lies. They're just not true. But there are some lies that are so egregious that they're the exact opposite of the truth. These are the leftist lies. <laughs> okay. And uh, to claim that, um, you know, pregnancy is intrinsically dangerous. Well, um, you know, one can say there are, there are certain risks involved, certainly. But with medicine the way it is now, it's very rare to have some life-threatening situation that can't be dealt with. Uh, and I've been told by physicians uh, that it's, it's rare, if ever, that one finds that uh, where there is a threat to life because of a pregnancy, that abortion is going to solve the problem. That abortion is necessary uh, as a means to, quote-unquote, solve the problem or alleviate the risk. <clears throat> they say, no, the problem can be solved other ways without aborting the child. The fact is that abortion itself carries very, very serious risks. And uh, not a, a week goes by uh, that we don't hear somewhere about a woman being rushed off to the hospital because of severe bleeding or some other terrible effect, uh, you know, some other terrible thing that happened to her during an abortion. And not only are we hearing about these, there are probably, you know, for every one that we hear about, there might be 10 or 12 or more that we don't hear about because they're being hushed up. Uh, there's a reason why laws have been passed in states that require abortion, uh, abortion uh, execution chambers to... Uh, have agreements with hospitals uh, so that when they have an emergency, they can, uh, you know, get, get a woman to the hospital right away to save her life because abortions do kill people. And, um, well, let's put it this way. Abortions always kill people. That's their purpose. The purpose of the abortion is to kill the child, okay? But unfortunately, as well, they at times wind up killing the mother, too. And... Um, one might uh, certainly make a good argument uh, that abortion is much more dangerous than pregnancy. Uh, that more people um, are killed, well, certainly killed by abortion than are killed by pregnancy because, um, you know, it, it, the, uh, the abortion's whole purpose is to kill the child anyway. That, that's a fact. There's always one person dead after an abortion, unless by some miracle the person survives and there are survivors of abortion but now the democrats are trying to make sure that doesn't happen by uh, allowing abortion up to birth and then if a child is born alive uh, despite the efforts of the abortionist to kill the child the child will be allowed simply to die um, and with no care provide no care for them uh, for their life to, to just make sure that they die that's what abortion is all about. It's the murder of a child. And uh, sometimes they wind up killing the mother too. Uh, and if we had reliable statistics that we could go by, 
Because again, we're dealing with people who deal in, in murder of children. So they're not going to be, they're not going to scruple over honesty. You know, you, you really can't trust them. If they, would, if they would deal in this, if that's their business, uh, the murder of children, uh, they're not exactly going to level with you. Uh, it's about the statistics involved here. But I bet that you would find, if you had the truth, you'd find out that there are many more women who die on the abortionist table, or as a result of what the abortionist did, than actually die from pregnancy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so again, I, I think that's the opposite of the truth. I think abortion is much more, well, I know, abortion is much more dangerous than, than pregnancy mm -hmm. and giving, giving birth to a child. And also, Father, perhaps another issue with this argument is that it, it doesn't even address the, the core issue here. You know, often if you um, read anything on the abortion question, you one of the, the first arguments, the so-called pro-choice arguments that you will always see is that uh, abortion is a, is a, a very safe procedure. Mm -hmm. Abortion is a, a relatively safe uh, thing, thing to do. They'll show you rates of other, other surgeries and how these other surgeries are much more, much more dangerous and abortion is much oh, more yeah. safe. But it doesn't even address the core issue of what is actually going on in the abortion, no matter how... It's a very safe way to murder your child. Yeah. That's what they're trying to tell you. But, I mean, even at that, you know, uh, it's, it, that's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, well, you know, the vaccines are, are, uh, are what? Safe and effective, right? And we hear the mantra over and over again, and we discover that that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Right? But the people who are telling you that are the people who are selling it to you. Right, the people who are, are producing this and getting rich off it. So, uh, you know, caveat emdor, let the buyer beware of this, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, Father, another um, issue that's, that's sometimes raised is uh, you'll sometimes encounter those who will say uh, that a, a celibate male, such as a, a priest, cannot dictate to me what I can or cannot do with my reproductive rights, they call them mm -hmm. sometimes. How would you answer that? Well, I've heard that. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, as a priest, you have no, nothing to say about this because, you know, you know uh, who, how dare you interfere in my, my sex life as they like to, so as because you're a celibate, you, you really have nothing to say about this. But, you know, the, the fact is, if they step back for a minute and think about it, which they never do, it seems, um, they realize that, of course, you know, um, the, the celibate male is the one who has the least personal um, self-interest involved in it. It's their boyfriends who are pushing them to get abortions, you know, uh, because the boyfriends want their girlfriends available for them. And they don't want these children, which interfere with their own personal self-interest and their own personal gratification. Uh, it's the businesses that sell abortion. Uh, that are getting rich. I mean, they're, they're getting, it's, it's a multi-million or billion dollar business, right? Um, and so who really would you trust to speak but somebody who does not have a personal interest in enriching themselves from abortion or uh, getting rid of a child so that they continue living a promiscuous life? <clears throat> but someone who actually has no personal interest in having a child put to death but it's simply saying it's wrong to do this. Why would they, why would they, uh, well, I mean, look, look back at the history of uh, Roe versus Wade, and who were the people who were involved in this from the get-go, pushing and pushing and pushing uh, for this, uh, for the abortion business in America? Who were the ones who were doing it? Men, 
They were the men who were pushing this. Why would men push for abortion? Because they don't want these women to be pregnant, and they don't want them to be pregnant because they want access to them, and they don't want babies getting in the way. Why can't women figure that out, that they've been used, they've been had, uh, that men who want the women to be entirely at their service and at their disposal don't want these babies? And, um, you know, the, the, the feminists blame men for being irresponsible. Um, and, and so they have men now who've basically uh, brought about, uh, brought us to where we are today with abortion. I mean, like, back, back then it was uh, Larry Nader and uh, Bernard Nathanson. Um, you know, it's all documented, well documented. The men who were involved... Uh, in actually being the ones to push this abortion on this country. And um, they were people who were entirely self-interested in seeing it happen. Um, it was the celibate males, the priests, who should have stood up and said, this is mortal, this is wrong, this is murder here. But they were too um, either silenced by their bishop or, or they were too cowardly to stand up Take, take one. There, there were priests who did stand up, thank goodness, but they were squelched. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I would just say that of all the people on earth that they should take seriously in what they're saying about abortion being wrong, is people who have no personal gain to, uh, in, in saying this and actually might even be putting themselves at risk in opposing abortion. Because now they're talking about overturning it, the, the, the Supreme Court overturning it, sending it back to the states, getting the federal government out of the involvement. And they're talking about the involvement of, of uh, violence now, the eruption of violence that is going to take place. And that violence they're predicting is going to be against what they consider the Catholic Church and her clergy, you know. And I fully expect that to happen. And, um, I mean, it is those who are willing to risk that and stand up and speak the truth that should be found the most credible, not the ones who are pro-abortion, who have everything to gain by it, um, whether it's to have unfettered sex lives, as they style them, or, uh, you know, fill their bank accounts, fill their coffers with the money from abortion. Uh, they're the ones who are the least credibility because they're the ones who are, who are profiting from it. Mm -hmm. Father, you, so, you, you mentioned the, the violence. There's actually um, some reports that the Department of Homeland Security has actually officially notified, um, quote-unquote, Catholic bishops that, you know, that, that there's definitely, there, there are, I think they use the term, credible threats mm -hmm. um, of, of violence. So, uh, I know some have, have made the point, well, why not uh, issue some kind of warning to those who have made the credible threats rather than <clears throat> issuing a warning? Yeah, warn those who are threatening the violence. <laughs> if they better not, they're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. You know, I just saw an article that uh, came out in the Epic Times mm. uh, saying activists plan to block entrances and shut down the Supreme Court to prevent expected Roe versus Wade ruling. Now, there are people in jail right now from January 6th yeah. Uh, because it is claimed that they interfered with official proceedings of Congress, and uh, th this is a, a felony, and they need to be prosecuted for sedition and insurrection. And here we have these abortion activists who actually have a plan on record here now. Uh, the DHS knows about it, the FBI knows about it, to actually block the entrances and shut down the Supreme Court in their official proceedings. Now, is anybody going to call this what it is? Is anybody going to call this insurrection? 
And are these people going to be subject to being cast into a dungeon in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, without trial for months, uh, and charged with high crimes, you know, as so they're, they're guilty of insurrection against the country, or th planning and threatening to do this? Probably not, right? Because they're leftists, and uh, the leftists in power, the Democrats, actually favor this, even as they favored the violence around the country that took place during the summer months of... Uh, well, you're familiar with that, with uh, the Antifa and so on. Um, they, they did nothing to stop it. Right? If anything, they, they favored this violence. And so uh, we have every reason to expect the Democrats will soft pedal this. Mm -hmm. uh, because as, as leftists in government, they profit from it. This is the kind of thing. I mean, Roe versus Wade and, uh, and abortion is what has actually, that's, that's their political meat and potatoes. That's what keeps them in power. Um, that's the ace that they play every time. Abortion rights, abortion rights, abortion rights. And they play uh, this to leftists who um, actually, um, you know, will vote for this. Regardless of what, what else the person may stand for, they will vote for this because it is so evil. And Father, there are leftist politicians who even have explicitly called for this violence. They've explicitly requested mm -hmm. this this violence to That's come right. about. And, you know, like you mentioned January 6th. And, I mean, uh, Charles Schumer is one who's always one explicitly. Yeah. And warned those who would uh, overturn Roe versus Wade that they're going to reap the whirlwind and they're going to suffer the consequences. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't just talking about the ballot box either. Yeah. yeah. But how, how typical, Father, is that of leftists where they um, so often are guilty of the very thing that they accuse other other people of. That's usually a good indication. This is standard there. operating procedure with the leftists. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, Tom, I do expect that there will be violence uh, directed against Catholics, mm -hmm. those they perceive to be Catholics, anyway. And uh, I do expect that I will be targeted by them, too. Because I travel, I always travel with a Roman collar as a priest. And um, I, I see the reception that traditional priests get in airports, for example, or in air travels, when reports come out about the abuse crisis that the new order clergy has, has fomented and their hierarchy with these bishops and this, uh, this Novus Ordo, this Pope of the Novus Ordo, Francis, and all that they're responsible for, when those travel who obviously are identifiable as priests, they're the ones who take the brunt of the scorn. Uh, because people look at them uh, and think, well, they're the ones. They're the ones who are doing all these evil things. You know? And so I expect it'll be even worse uh, when the time comes, as we hope and pray it does, that the Supreme Court will finally do the right thing. And, uh, and, and shut down this, uh, this federal protected and federal finance, federal supported uh, abortion industry. Uh, yes, it will go back to the states, and the states will have to decide this on a state-by-state -state basis. Mm -hmm. But the federal government, at least through the Supreme Court, can, come, can decide, hopefully once and for all, that the federal government has no business being involved in this, has nothing to say about this. I mean, ultimately, the federal government should stop it, really. They have an obligation to, to forbid it nationwide, to condemn it nationwide, rather than to endorse it nationwide. Uh, but at least by overturning Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court will, will say the premises uh, 
provided by this are no good. This is not good law, and we reject this decision. Uh, and that's a good step in the right direction. By the way, you notice the LGBTQA plus whatever else uh, crowd is all on board because they say now our rights are being threatened too because they see the so-called sexual revolution itself being in the balance now. And so, um, you know, they're being assured, oh, no, don't worry. Uh, you know, this doesn't affect you. This will, will, certainly will not in any way impugn your LGBTQA rights. But the fact is that uh, all of this revolution began with the birth control and the abortion business, right? Uh, being developed because it, it completely overturned the idea that uh, sexual relations are for married people and they're for the sake of giving life. That's the primary essential purpose, giving life and nurturing that life. When they, when they de defied that, when they denied that, it started this entire juggernaut rolling forward. And what we're witnessing now is actually an inevitable result of that. It was very predictable. Uh, anybody who had any sense back, back then in 1973 and before could have said, this is where we're going. And you're going to see these things ha happening in the future on the basis of the decisions you're making now, notably Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, the, the, the homosexual crowd and those who have spawned, they've spawned, they realize that um, the, the revolution itself is, is um, shall we say, threatened by this. And they are, they're furious about it. In fact, it, it reminds me of, um, of a statement made by St. Paul in his epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3. I have it here, actually. He says, um, St. Paul says, Be ye followers of me, brethren, and observe them who walk as you have our model. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. But our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is a very good statement of St. Paul to keep in mind. It's divine revelation, of course, being one of his epistles. But the idea that we're looking for a time, and actually St. Paul talked about them being present even at the time that he lived, whose God is their belly, he said. It's an interesting expression. Because when you talk about, when you, when you see these women here shouting their abortion, or boldly proclaiming their pride in their abortion, uh, their God really is their belly. We say, our bodies belong to us, our bodies are ours. And uh, they, they would deify their, 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 their belly um, as though it is some sort of, uh, well, uh, you know, exempt from all, all moral law of God or man. <laughs> and uh, um, it's, it's, it's the point that we've come to because of all this, mm -hmm. really. Now this, I, I think, is being fulfilled before our very eyes today. Mm -hmm. Father, what is the uh, what's what is the end end result? What does the conclusion look like of this uh, juggernaut? You say that was that was set in place with with the abortion. Says, and... Saint Paul says, whose end is destruction, and it's going to uh, 
you know, we have to realize that these these people are militating for the, the murder of, of child children. Uh, nothing is sacred to them except their bellies. That's the only thing that is sacred to them. It's the only thing that is inviolable to them. Everything else, everyone else, must be sacrificed for their bellies. Okay, so. Um, they're very dangerous people, very violent people, very hateful people, even as they're shouting, shouting that other people are the haters and other people are guilty of this violence to them. As you mentioned, uh, leftists actually not only lie, but they, they hate the truth so much that virtually everything that comes out of their mouth is the opposite of the truth. You know? It's almost that they gag if they try to tell the truth. They choke on the truth. And so we expect people like that to be violent. You know, when the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, warns the Novus Herald bishops of violence, impending violence from these uh, abortionists, they call them extremists, well, they're just abortionist activists, um, we, we would say, well, yes, this is exactly what we expect from these people. This is the kind of people they are. Yeah. They're they're completely perverted in their in their way of thinking. It's tragic, but it's true. We have to you know simply face it and call it for what it is. Uh, at the same time, we realize that um, our Lord wants us to love them because He died for them. He gave His life for them, and He wants to save them too. He wants their conversion. God wants not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. Okay, that's divine revelation. We know it's true. And so we have to approach them in a very different way than they approach us. Uh, we must not be guilty of the things they accuse us of. We must not be guilty of the things that they do. Um, otherwise, unfortunately, we would become very much like them. And uh, so St. Paul prescribes for us charity and kindness and thoughtfulness. We have to resolutely resist evil. We have to resolutely resist that. And we can't budge an inch. We can't give an inch on that. But right, what is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. We have to take our stand on that and not flinch in the face of whatever they uh, you know, want to use to intimidate us. But at the same time, we have to do it in such a way that we don't forget our faith and our hope and our charity, which binds us to our Lord Jesus Christ. What St. Paul says here is so perfect. After he tells you about that, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory, who, I'm sorry, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Boy, that's not the truth today. Huh? They should be ashamed of the things they're glorying in. So what does St. Paul say? Our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he ends that statement um, by saying where our minds and our hearts should be in all of this. And this is the way that we will obtain the grace necessary to basically, um, hopefully, overcome, overcome their malice and uh, save souls, and hopefully convert them. That's what our Lord wants. It would be a great glory to God if, if they converted from this way and uh, recognized Him and acknowledged Him and served Him. No. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to pray for. Well, Father, maybe um, one, one more. By the way, Tom, if I may, uh, you know, sometimes when we talk about these things, people might think, well, you know, it's very harsh to say these things. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the truth 
is, uh, comes across that way. The, the truth is what it is, and you can't hide that. You read the gospel and you find some things our Lord said, they come across as being rather harsh. But as St. Paul says to the Corinthians, uh, charity rejoices not in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices with the truth. The truth being what it is, you have to state it for what it is in a very clear way, especially at a time when people are trying to hide the truth and deny the truth. Yes. But <clears throat> when you talk to a woman who is facing the prospect of having a child, she already has a child, <clears throat> um, she already is a mother, which is why she's in a, in a situation that is very difficult for her because um, she realizes that you know, she'll be giving birth to a child very soon, responsible for that child. She wants to avoid that at all costs, because she's probably kill the child or pay someone to kill the child. <clears throat> when you talk to a woman like that, I mean, you have to show compassion to them. <clears throat> I mean, there, there are certain ways that I would be talking here to even now about this matter of abortion and the excuses made uh, to justify it. <clears throat> but in talking to a woman who is facing the process of abortion, I would not talk to her the way I'm talking with you, uh, because I realize she's under a, a certain amount of pressure, and uh, it's she's kind of probably terrified. She needs help. She needs help. And um, my what I would want to do for her is to give her help and give her hope, and explain to her the value of her own life and her own soul, but also the value of the life and, and the soul of this child. <clears throat> I want to actually save her from the most tragic decision she will ever make in her life, something that she will regret. Even if she doesn't live to regret it in this life, she will regret it in eternity in hell. I don't want that to happen to her. I don't want it to happen to her child. The child is aborted and denied the vision of God in heaven. And so we have to always remember that we're moved by charity. That's the fundamental motive force in all that we say and do. And in a case of dealing with a young lady who's facing uh, this very, very difficult moment in her life here, involving an, a child and a child's life, and how it impacts her life and what she's going to do about this, we have to really, really uh, focus on the charity that is there and the love of Christ for her. And we have to be able to try to uh, calm her and to um, help her in every way we can to take that pressure off of her that would push her into aborting her child and to, out of charity, be willing to provide whatever we can for her good and for the child's good. <clears throat> so she has to know that she's safe with us and we, we really want what is her good and we want what is for her child's good. We have to somehow convey that to her. We're not just looking to prevail, to prevent her from doing something we don't want her to do. It's not a contest of wills, what we want, or what her boyfriend wants, or what her parents want, or what Planned Parenthood wants, or for that matter, not whatever she wants. It's not a contest between our will and whoever else is favoring this abortion. We are motivated by a love for God, a love for her, and a love for this child. And if we can uh, make, get that across to her, so you really, she understands it and she believes it, and um, then 
you know, by the grace of God, we can move her to spare that child's life and her own life in the process. <clears throat> but she will ruin by, these, by the, this abortion. And um, there are many women who have had that experience where the uh, counselor has actually talked to her and he hasn't or she hasn't talked the woman out of an abortion. He's not talking them out of it. <clears throat> it's a matter of simply reaching out to them in charity and the love of Christ and uh, helping them to see their way through all of this very confusing and very troubling and even scary time for them to realize what is the true good and to know that they're in good hands and they're with people who love them and will provide what they need, not only her, for her child together, but for each of them individually to do what is best for each of them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's our mission. That's what we have to do. Yeah. That's very good, Father. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, there, there was another um, point I wanted to make. Father, um, you know, the uh, here in the United States of America, we're very, very big on the idea of, of freedom. We we hear that uh, we hear that a lot. How we're all about freedom, and there are those who say, "Well, Father, even if everything that you say up here is true, even if um, abortion is, is is wrong, it's it's immoral, it's unjustifiable. Um, you, it's not your place or my place or anyone else's place to to hamper the freedom of of women and prevent them from." Uh, from having an abortion, and there's actually a very famous quote from Margaret Singer, the uh, founder of Planned Parenthood, where she said that, uh, quote, no woman can call herself free until she can choose consciously whether she will or will not be a mother. Um, so how would you reply to that idea of you're, you're hampering, you're taking away someone's freedom by preventing them from having an abortion? Well, we take away freedom from people all the time when we make laws. Uh, when we, for example, give commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, there are those who would argue that that, that takes away my liberty. How dare you tell me that, right? Uh, St. Paul talks about using liberty as a cloak for malice, to cover over one's malice, malicious intention. And so liberty is often used, especially today, as a cloak for malice by people who have evil intentions. Uh, so no matter what they're doing, they cry, liberty, liberty, and so immediately you can't, you can't touch it, you can't stop them. Um, the Margaret Sanger, uh, the poor, unfortunate individual, says that uh, a woman cannot call herself free unless she can decide for herself whether she'll be a mother or not. Well, first of all, uh, a woman does decide that when she decides to have marital relations, when she decides to have sexual relations. Um, she cannot claim, I had, hey, I had nothing to do with this. This wasn't my decision. Uh, but you see, the, the so-called sexual revolution basically uh, tells everybody they have a right to do whatever they please. Uh, and uh, if anything uh, gets in the way of that, uh, then it has to be killed because it's denying their right to do whatever they please. Um, we say that actually, no, there are responsibilities that come with actually having marital intercourse or what they call sexual intercourse, there are responsibilities. Um, one foresees uh, the conception of a child uh, as a natural outcome of that, sometimes in spite of birth control and whatever other so-called precautions they take. They want to just make it entirely about selfishly their own gratification and nothing to do with giving life. But they know, I mean, it's as though we talk, we talk about the birds and the bees and how people are very very much 
uh, uh, you know, in the in the our marketplace of ideas and so on. There's an awful lot of information out there about sexuality, and yet when they conceive a child, it's like, well, how did that happen? Where did that come from? I had nothing to do with it. That's absurd. So let's be honest about it and just tell them uh, tonight to stop. Uh, being, you know, acting as fools and treating us as fools. And so there's no connection between the fact that they were being sexually promiscuous and they actually conceived a child as a result of it. As though this was some kind of a uh, atrocity that happened to them, a grave injustice that was inflicted upon them. And now they're having a baby because they've been sexually active. You know? And uh, we need to hold them responsible for that. They need to hold themselves responsible for that. Um, uh, but in any case, when you, when you are pregnant, you have a baby and you are a mother. Whether you wanted that or not, you did it, <laughs> right? And uh, the fact is, uh, when she says no woman can call herself free unless she can decide whether or not she wants to be a mother, well, if she's conceived a child and that child is growing in her womb, she is a mother. And by a conscious, deliberate choice that she made, she invited that to happen. And she's responsible for that life that she's given. Um, and uh, so one of, one of the things that I find so telling today is that women want, they get outraged, even pro-life women, even pro-life women get very, very unhappy when you say, well, we want to hold the mothers responsible for aborting their children. They, they, even pro-life women say, well, no, you hold the doctors responsible. Uh, hold others responsible for actually doing the aborting of the children. But it's wrong to uh, hold the mother responsible. And the reason why I find that so offensive is because these are often feminist women uh, even some of the pro, pro-lifers, feminist women who say, look, women are powerful, they're strong. Women are, you know, dis- they're, they're overturning uh, taboos and they're leading the charge and so on and so forth. And yes, you know, these women should be treated with respect and, and because they have, have this res- they're, they're, they're taking the initiative and showing that responsibility. And then all of a sudden, when it's necessary for them to decide whether they can get an abortion, they have no responsibility. You can't hold them responsibility, responsible for that. You know, everywhere else you have to say, oh, yeah, they're strong leaders and they're taking over and so on and so forth. And don't anybody get in my, in my way. I am woman, hear me roar and all that. But boy, when it comes down to a woman deciding to have an abortion and we say it's wrong, even those who say it's wrong say, oh, you can't blame the woman for that. Can't hold her responsible for that. I find that a, 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 a double standard. Uh, and to me, that means that they're not being honest at all. Um, they want to be given you know, all the power and uh, uh, want people to, to fear them because they're coming through, they're taking their fate in their own hands and nobody's going to dictate to them. But when they decide to have an abortion, well, the poor innocent things, they have, they have no choice in the matter. Uh, and they have no responsibility for it. I, I fear that uh, they've fallen into the trap. They've fallen into the trap that actually godless men have set for them to use them and abuse them. 
And there's nothing worse for a woman, I think, than the sexual slavery of being at the beck and call of men who can t tell a woman, you are not going to have a baby. And if you do, you're going to abort that baby or I'm leaving you. And what kind of tyranny is that for a man to say to a woman, you know, to tell her, look, uh, you know, our relationship depends upon you not having a child. Because if you do, I'm out of here. And if you don't want me to leave you and abandon you, then you have to kill that baby that you can see, that our baby, you have to kill it. Now, that's sexual slavery. And women have bought into that, that, that perverted relationship between with them and the men. Mm -hmm. And they bought into it out of the guise of liberty, that now they think they're liberated. What a sham. What a fraud that is. What a lie that is. Yeah. Uh, I wish that women would come to their senses and realize we are being used and abused here. I mean, you, you look at those who are at the ground floor of the abortion industry in the beginning, and I'm sorry to say it, I mean, I, people will say it's a bigotry if they want to, but the fact is, I mean, you have not only men, but often Jewish men who are actually leading the charge. Um, they were dealing with uh, activist abortionist women, that's true, but the ones who are really, really scoring the points and pushing this forward uh, were, the, were the Jewish lawyers and doctors. And um, it's, uh, I don't think they were doing it because, I, well, I can't say that, but uh, the, the, this revolution, this, and it is a, this sexual revolution was pushed mm -hmm. on our country. And uh, unfortunately, the women were uh, deceived and they were sold a bill of goods. And they are still being sold a bill of goods. But this is what, uh, where their true liberty lies, and it is, it is, a, it is a slavery for them. Mm -hmm. Abject slavery. Yep. Father, there are some who accuse us of, um, you know, maybe they say we're, we, we speak in very pro-life terms now and um, up, up until the moment of birth, but actually once uh, the, you know, we maybe made our point and the, uh, the abortion does not happen, uh, that we seem to be no longer pro-life at, at that point because there are so many who uh, they accuse social conservatives of, you know, not wanting these, these poor mothers to be on welfare, they're against welfare, they don't want them to have any sort of help, uh, you know, financial assistance from, from the government, we don't want any kind of welfare programs for them, and we just kind of uh, abandon them, and we force them to have this child, and then we just leave them and abandon them without any help, any assistance from the government. And so they say we're only pro-life up until the moment of birth, and then we simply abandon uh, that mother and that child that we forced her to have. How, how would you respond to that? Because the government doesn't do anything for them? Yes. Well, I'll tell you, if, if genuine Christians were in charge of government, they would, they would have programs for children to take care of them like that. They would. And as far as Catholics go, we know for a fact that the Catholic Church historically has always provided homes and places of refuge for those in need and to take care of those like that. And now those are being maligned as so those who are being abusive but there are lies being told about that, too. But the fact is the Catholic Church has always provided works of charity for people like that. But see, that's the difference between um, communists and socialists on the one hand, and Catholics, true Christians on the other. And that is, uh, socialists and communists say, government, 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 
should do all this. It should all come from the government. And the Catholics have always said, it, works of charity are not the work of the government. Uh, first of all, works of charity are the work of the church. They're the work of the Christian people. And nobody, nobody in the history of mankind has been more generous in giving of themselves their time, their energy, their treasure than Christians, notably Catholics, in contributing to works of mercy, the seven spiritual and the seven corporal works of mercy. Billions and billions and billions of dollars given every year for these works of charity for just the type of people you're talking about. Women who keep their children alive, don't abort them, and need help. Uh, the help of the church has been there for them always, always been there for them. Uh, the Catholic Church has always thought that the role of government is to provide for justice, to protect our rights. Right? That's the role of government. The role of charity belongs to the church. It's very dangerous to have the government take over the works of charity. Government wants to take over the works of charity and neglect the works of justice. They want to divert, let's say, the monies that are given to them by taxes and so on. Uh, they want to divert those monies to works of charity because by works of charity they can buy votes. And that's why the church has always understood. We don't want the government involved in charity because when you have politicians doling out money uh, for their own charitable purposes, you know, uh, then the people getting that money um, are beholden to them. They'll beholden to them. Even that I have to uh, elect so-and-so because they're the ones giving out the money. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville talked about this kind of thing already in the 1800s as a very great danger uh, to our American government, that when the public finds it can vote itself public monies out of the you know, public largesse, then that's the end, right? They, they begin to vote money for themselves by electing these certain people who are very willing to give the money away. They don't give it to where the justice is. They give it to those um, who actually will be beholden to them. Not if They don't give it to those to whom it is owed in terms of their constituents. Uh, back home, necessarily, they give it to those whose votes they, they want to buy. And this is what happens when you get government, meaning when you get politicians in the charity business. And stepping up and saying, we need this program, we need that program, we need this program for these people who are in need. And... Uh, you know, they make it sound as though they're, they're great benefactors, the great benefactors of mankind, because they allowed so many hundreds of billions of dollars of this person, or purpose or that purpose. But it's not their money they're giving away. In fact, historically, the people who do that themselves give very little of their money away to charity. Uh, rather, uh, in, in, instead of that, they're giving everybody else's money away, right? Public money's away. And uh, when, when you do that, it's, it's basically the end of the integrity in government. That's what happens when you put politicians in charge. So anyway, you know, it, it gets back to what uh, Margaret Sanger said and what you just said about the, the abortion business. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very dirty business, a very ugly business. It's a, actually very much a satanic business. Yep. Well, Father, anything else that you wanted to mention on this uh, abortion question? Well, uh, you know, we're, we're expecting, uh, we're hoping and praying that the Supreme Court will step up and 
right this wrong after all this time and all these millions of lives that Roe versus Wade has cost to say this was bad law and this um, is a travesty and we overturn it. Um, but I do expect that all these warnings and all these threats are going to come true and there will be violence. And as far as I'm concerned, well, if this is the price we have to pay, then we, we'll have to pay it. Yeah. And I mean that personally, too. I mean, it, it, I expect to be targeted, and I think, well, I'd, I'd be very honored to be targeted for this reason, honestly. Uh, I would rejoice to be targeted by this, for this reason. Um, because, I, I mean, I would know that we've done something effective. Uh, to strike at this this uh, this this evil that is that is beset, it's like a, like an exorcism, and we're you know we're having an effect now for the good, and uh, the demon feels as though he's under attack, and I want him to feel that way. So in any case, uh, because I want him to be under attack, I want him to have to withdraw. I consider this whole thing, as I mentioned before, Tom, like an enormous exorcism, an exorcism of the country. An exorcism of the world, because I believe it's been the possession is there has been taken possession of by an evil power, and that all of these things are manifestations of that evil power. Um, and as you know, I mean, exorcisms are not uh, easy, relaxing times that they too take their toll, um, and not uncommonly will they take years off the life or even the life of some an exorcist. Um, but he's willing to, willing to pay that for the sake of the good to be gained, the service of our Lord. We all have to have that attitude going forward. Um, you know, they, we're, we're warned by Klaus Schwab, a name I've mentioned in the past. We're warned by this creature who suddenly appeared on the scene as this great guru of mankind for the Great Reset. I mean, who is this guy? And what... what right does he have to tell everybody, including nations, um, that they dare not resist because we have means of, you know, we have control over you because we have people in your governments that we control. We've been grooming people for, for your governments that we control. I mean, how blatant can you get? Uh, as he has come out and warned us that this is the case. Uh, it's like, you know, resistance is futile, you know, simply acquiesce, acquiesce, and do exactly as we say, you know. And, um, but in any case, you know, his point is, as he said recently, some people think we'll go back to the, the, the old normal. He says, we will, there will never be the old normal again. Never, ever, ever again. We will never return to that. So give up that idea. You know, don't cling to that idea. Come with us. We're taking you into the future. We will decide what your future is. And um, we have to really take to heart what he's saying. Is this, he's telling us, uh, uh, unfortunately, he's telling us the truth. That as far as he and his uh, fellow um, totalitarians are, are, are concerned, this is the future. It will never be as it was before. And those who are obstinately clinging to what we knew in the years before of basically liberties and so on um, and whatever peace there was, 
that we're not going to see that. We are now engaged in, in a fight. Uh, we have basically uh, one alternative, that is to choose between two things. Uh, acquiescence, and giving in to them and going along on this path uh, that they've mapped out for mankind. Or we have the option to fight and to resist it and say, no, I will not do that. Um, because this is not only a denial of my rights, this is a denial of my God. This is a denial of my God, all that I believe in, all that I hope for, and all that I love. And I'm going to fight as someone who has faith and hope and charity and sees that threatened. And uh, that you threaten all that I love, and I'm going to have the gumption and be man enough to fight for it. That's what we have to do. We, we're going to have to just face the fact that there are going to be sacrifices that have to be made. Uh, it won't be pleasant, but it's what's required. It's a matter of love. It's a labor of love. So we have to be willing to do that now and face that fact. And we have to now be asking ourselves, how do I, not, how do I avoid this whole thing? And how do I continue flying under the radar and just kind of trying to you know, let it all go over my head and just let myself have a nice, quiet, happy life. No, that's not an option anymore. But we, the question we should be asking now is, where do I sign, how do I sign up for the, uh, you know, for the kingship of Christ, to fight for the kingship of Christ? And how do I stand up for my faith? How do I stand up for my Lord? What can I do now to resist this, to be engaged in this, in this epic battle? Um, it's the times we live in, that there's no fence to ride anymore. Okay, the fence has been torn down here. And now God is, you know, expecting us all uh, to declare ourselves. Just, you know, where do we stand on this? For him or against him? Uh, be hot or cold, one or the other. Okay? There's no lukewarm. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, the benefit we have as Catholics is we know that our Lord is Christ the King, and he will come to judge all of this, and he will make things right. And um, we have St. Matthew chapter 25 uh, portraying the judgment with the goats and the sheep. We know how this is going to end, and it will end ultimately in the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have to proceed, go forward with that absolute unshakable confidence. No, no matter how many battles the devil seems to win, he has lost the war already. You know? uh, so, uh, you know, that's our confidence. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. We had other uh, items on the agenda for tonight, but I think this is a much more, much more important discussion that we've had uh, tonight. So perhaps we can save those for next week. And perhaps uh, next week I'd like to address the yes. Yes. questions that come in. Yeah, but Father, thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate everything that you do. I know our viewers do as well. So. Yeah. Well, certainly, Tom. Well, thank you. Okay. God bless all of our viewers. Yes, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.